We get to get back into Psalms today. We spent a couple weeks in 2 Kings. We'll get back there in a little bit. We're kind of winding down 2 Kings. There'll be a few more weeks there, but we have another 30 Psalms to go. And today we're going to begin in Psalm 120, and we'll be able to complete Psalm 120 and 121. <clears throat> now, in his, in his commentary on the Psalms, James Boyce mentioned a book when he gets to Psalm 120, and the book was written by a man named Eugene Peterson. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. Now, you can tell right away that that name of that book isn't a marketing type of name. Okay? That's a long name. It look, sounds very academic. A long obedience in the same direction, colon, discipleship in an instant society. Now, this was published in 1980, so it was published 42 years ago. And Boyce quotes from the book, and I think this quote is very good. <clears throat> says this, it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terribly or terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian disciples is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. That's pretty. That's a pretty powerful statement. And coming on the heels of where we just ended up in Psalm one nineteen, it. I don't know, it just, it just grabbed me. We need to see our need to love God's word and have a fervent desire that God teach us in his precepts. And hopefully we got that out of Psalm 119, all of those 176 verses. So going on in Psalm 120... we get a total different um, idea going forward. When I first read this uh, in my studies, I was kind of foggy still, and I was still studying Psalm 119, and I read Psalm 120, and I thought, Where's, there's no talking here about loving God's word and God's precepts and wanting to be taught. And then I realized, oh, I'm in Psalm 120. You know, it was missing. Because it says this, 
In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesheth, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, Psalm 120 is the first of 15 psalms where each one is called a psalm of ascent. If you look at your Bible there, it'll say a song of ascents. Sometimes it's called a song of degrees. Now, first, not all of these were written by the same author. Four of them are attributed to David. One of them is attributed to, to Solomon. And for the remaining ten, we don't know for certain who the authors are. So, what does the psalm of ascents refer to? Now, the Hebrew phrase, and I'll see if I can say this somewhat right, is shir hama aloth. Shir hama aloth. And the first word is easy to understand. The shir, it means a hymn or a song. The second word, hama aloth, means a step or a going up. The question arises as to where are you going up to? I'm going up, but where? There are a few ideas that scholars have come up with, but the one with the best explanation is that these psalms were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's up on a hill. And you have to ascend to Jerusalem if you go from the north, south, east, or west, doesn't matter. You're going up to Jerusalem. And during the, and they went there and they sang these songs during their journey for the annual festivals, which are the Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Atonement. This makes many to think of these as pilgrim songs because you are traveling for these uh annual festivals to Jerusalem. And one thing we will note as we go through these psalms is the ascent. Uh, Many of them talk about groups of people together. For example, for example, Psalm 122, verse 1 and 2, it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us Go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. 132.7 said, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. So we're talking groups of people here. It's interesting to note, think about this for a minute. And this is, imag- this is imagination, okay? This is just putting yourself in that culture uh, at the time. Think of Joseph and Mary using these psalms when they were traveling, traveling to Jerusalem as reported in Luke chapter 2. 
verses 41 and 51. This is when Jesus was a little boy. It says, this passage begins in Luke 2, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And the feast, when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And perhaps Jesus and his disciples also sung these songs as they were traveling to Jerusalem to attend these festivals. Very possible those types of things happened. They did something, you know. They didn't have, uh, you know, cell phones, and so kids weren't playing games uh, as, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, you know. They were doing something. And it's very possible that many of these Psalms of Ascent were, or if not all of them, were quoted as they were traveling. Now, several places in the 15 Psalms of Ascents, we will see that there's also a sadness reflected in many different verses. It's not just, we're marching to Zion and we're going to conquer. No, there's a, there's a sadness in many of them. Psalm 120, verse 1, it says, In my distress I called to the Lord. Psalm 123 have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Psalm 129 begins, Greatly they have afflicted, afflicted me from my youth. And Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. But we see as we go through each one of these, <clears throat> That God does not leave his own to live without hope. To live continually in distress and in the depths of life. So let's turn to Psalm 120. Because it begins by setting the stage for the journey. The journey upward. The journey of ascent, beginning in distress. It starts out. In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now we've all heard, we've all heard the little ditty, the children's rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But words will never hurt me, or names will never hurt me. Sure, it's an attempt to be tough, right? But as we know, it's false. Words, in this case, lying in a deceitful tongue, had a huge effect. Words do impact us. We can all recall examples of lies and deceit of having a major impact on a single person or a group of people. I had to go on a little rabbit trail, if I could. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't done that yet today. So, <laughs> And all we have to do to see this in practice today is listen. I mean, the, the words and the deceitful tongue and the lying lips is listen to politics or the media. It's everywhere. 
or as Vody Bachman would say, airware. <laughs> it's everywhere in the media. Right now the World Cup is going on. It's a soccer event if you haven't heard of it. But even it's embroiled in moral politics. And you'd better not be on the side that is not dominated by those in power. Now, the topics that are being discussed in our small home groups are right on point into what we are seeing in the news and in the media, in politics on a daily basis. With this, the attacks on others and calling them names is nonstop. But not only that, the twisting of words is maddening. I heard, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. A couple of weeks ago, I went and looked, and it was on November 1st, I heard what I would call probably one of the worst twisting of words I've ever heard. The Everybody's favorite TV show called The View. <laughs> one person who's an actress named Anne Hathaway actually stated this, Quote, abortion can be another word for mercy. Unquote. Wow. And buried underneath that statement is if you defend the right for the life for the unborn, you're not merciful. The twisting of words, the lying lips, the deceitful... T- we, are, we are exposed to it everywhere, even to the point that, that they call good evil and evil good and twist it. I would th- didn't think I would ever hear someone actually say that abortion is a merciful act. Wow. Pretty sad. That's my rabbit trail. We're going to stop there and come back. Because we could go there and never find our way back. But in Psalm 120, we see the impact. We see it today. And the writer in Psalm 120 is greatly impacted by the lying lips and deceitful tongues that were attacking him. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Deliver me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Spurgeon said this, Slander occasions distress of the most grievous kind. Those who have felt the edge of a cruel tongue know assuredly that it is sharper than the sword. Calumny roses our indignation by a sense of injustice, and yet we find ourselves helpless to fight with the evil or to act in our own defense. We have no shield against a liar's tongue. We do not know who was the father of the falsehood, nor where it was born, nor where it is gone, nor how to follow it, nor how to stay its withering influence. He said, how do you fight it? How do you fight when lies come against you, when deceit comes against you? So what does the writer do? 
I called to the Lord, and he answered me. What did the writer do? I called to the Lord, and he answered me. What did the writer ask of the Lord? He asked to be delivered from the lies and the deceitful tongue. To this, Spurgeon said that the calling of the Lord was the, quote, wisest course that he could follow. Back to that first quote we had from that uh, short little titled book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Insert Society. Peterson wrote on what this may mean in our culture to be delivered from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. He wrote, Rescue me from the lies of advertisers. I I like how he wrote this. Again, this was 1980. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire. From the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap desire, from the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way of joy, from the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality, from the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long and happily and successfully, from the lies of the moralists who pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my fate, from the lies of pastors who, quote, leave the commandments of God and hold fast to the traditions of men. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. That's, (laughs) I mean, he nails it. He nails it. And if you want to get that quote, I'll see if I can get it for you. It's a long one. I don't have the book. I might have, maybe I ought to get it. But as we read the quote, we need to remember, and this helps us remember, that these lies are represented or presented in attractive packages. And they may not even appear as lies. They can and do contain partial truths, to make them more likely to be believed. And both Jim and Scott have been going through Jude. Remember a couple weeks ago, Jude 4 speaks to this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So we need to call on the Lord as much today as the psalmist did back then to be delivered from the lying lips and the deceitful tongues and the distress that they may cause. Now, going on, verse 3 and 4 says, What shall be given to you, what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with the glowing coals of the broom tree. The writer is trying to suggest a fitting punishment for lies. As we know, lies are difficult to fight. 
but God can deal with them. Matthew Henry wrote on these verses, he wrote this, Let liars consider what shall be, shall be given to them. Sharp arrows of the Almighty, with coals of juniper, that is, they will fall and lie forever under the wrath of God, which will fly swiftly like arrows, and will strike the sinner ere he is aware, and when he sees not who hurts him. God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. They set God at a distance from them, but from afar his arrows can reach them. The terrors of the Lord are his arrows. And that comes from Job 6, 4. And his wrath is compared to burning coals of juniper, which do not flame or crackle like thorns under a pot, but have a vehement heat and keep fire very long, even when they seem to to have gone out. So this statement here in verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 120 is in line with Psalm 64, verse 5 to 8, where we read, read, and we went through this, I don't know, a long time ago now. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out their injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search, for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrows at them, and they are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. Going on in Psalm 120, in verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace, but I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So the psalm ends with the statement that there are hostile neighbors, warring people, and nations are one of the consistencies of human society, regardless of the location in the world or the time of history. Peace is something that has constantly eluded humanity, and that's due to sin. And that's in every continent, in every culture, since the time of Adam. Now, Mesheth was one of the sons of Japheth, who was one of the sons of Noah. And the land... Of Mesheth is closely associated with that of Tubal, especially in a prophecy of Ezekiel. The region is identified as being north of the Black Sea, in southern Russia, in Ukraine. Probably know more about where that is now than we did a few months ago. And possibly the Republic of Georgia. Tubal is an area in central Turkey. And Kedar was the son of Ishmael, and it's the name of a nomadic tribe of Arabs, the Bedouins who generally dwelt in northwest of Arabia. Now, these groups are described as those who hate peace. And as we stated, this is the description of man in general. 
Think of all the treaties that have been inked throughout history. There have been a lot. How many have lasted? Not very many. I read that in the, the Encyclopedia Britannica list of between 1480 and 1945, there were 278 wars. And I highly doubt that list included all of them. I doubt they got the tribal wars in the Americas. I doubt if they got all the warring in, in uh, Asia. Probably missed a whole bunch in India because they didn't know about them. Africa, were there wars going on? Absolutely. And those who hate peace is not reserved for the nations. It bleeds all the way down to the individuals. And so these two nations, or these two areas, Mesheth and Kedar, they're located far apart from each other to show that those who hate peace are everywhere in the world. They're not picking on these two groups. It's everybody. And we know this. But as we look at the landscape in our world, you can't help but see that the tolerance for those who hold to a biblical, Christian, biblical worldview, I said that twice, didn't I, um, are being increasingly targeted from year to year. Christians are being targeted as being hateful. Interesting. And you don't have to look far to see that from happening. In 2018, in our favorite area of the country, Southern California, um, they were forced to take down an offensive billboard that was promoting a Christian crusade. And what made it offensive is there was a man standing in a suit and a tie holding up a black book. It happened to be the Bible, but it didn't say that. But you had to take that as an offensive billboard. Tucker Carlson, regardless of what you think of him, he wrote in July 2022, quote, Hostility to faith, but to Christianity, traditional Christianity in particularly, is really one of the animating forces on the other side. It's coming. People don't want peace and they're coming after Christianity why? why? yeah why don't they want has anybody figured that out? <laughs> they love evil man man loves evil I, I just love peace and quiet I don't understand that Yes. just think of the last time that you saw a Christian portrayed in a good light in a movie going way back and on TV, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. There are always some crazed bigot, a hateful person. That's the way Hollywood has portrayed yep. us for a long time. And so this kind of thing is being taught. Absolutely. Taught by the media. And, and uh, I double-dog dare Hollywood to portray Muslims that way. They won't do it. But Christianity, we're, we're easy fodder. And Jesus said, I have come to bring peace. The one 
the one view that brings God's peace is being rejected. And it shouldn't surprise or alarm us. As Jesus said in Matthew 24. Jesus said in Matthew 24 verse 4 to 11. He said, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But the end is not yet. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. They hate Christ. They hate Christ. That's the reason. So it's read through the last few verses. Maybe we should be asking, do I want to belong to those who hate peace? The Apostle Peter understood that believers are separate from those they dwell with, just like we are today. In 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 10, believers are called God's people and sojourners and exiles. Finally, as believers, we understand that God is the author of and our source of peace. We find that in Ephesians 2, in Philippians 4, in 1 Peter 2. And this is going to culminate in the new heaven and the earth in Revelation 21, where we read, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither will there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So if we go back to Psalm 120, with that as the backdrop, in my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Well, we need to be be delivered by God. He's the one that shows us the truth. He's the one that shows that these people are deceitful. Verse 3, what shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesheth, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The peace is coming. Psalm 121. The second of the 15 Psalms of Ascents. Now, if you were to Google, those of you that Google, if you were to Google the Traveler's Psalm, Psalm 121 would come up. People have used this psalm for comfort when traveling, whether on an individual journey, which may or may not involve danger, or the journey of life. 
This psalm has been used through the years to bring comfort to the reader. It shows who is really in control, that being the Lord, and because of that, he can provide comfort. You might have heard of David Livingstone, who was the missionary who went to Africa originally in 1840. Before he left for Africa on his missionary journeys, he started by reading Psalm 121, the Traveler's Psalm. And there are numerous other testimonials of those who found comfort in this psalm, particularly the closing two verses, where it says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. That might sound a little bit familiar to you because you might have heard it said many times. Now, in the context of one of the psalm of ascents, this is the psalm that was sung, like I said, as a psalm that was sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem. We can see the picture starting in verse 1. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? Now we live in an area where you can look out over to the hills and go, oh, I lift my eyes to the hills. If you lived in uh, Dallas, Texas, you wouldn't see a hill unless it happened to be a freeway overchange, right? (laughs) That's all that's there. So for those traveling, when they got close to their destination, they would look up or they would lift their eyes to see their destination. Remember, these are travelers going where? To Jerusalem. And so they would look up and see Jerusalem. This doesn't mean I'm looking over the hills of Boise. Okay? This means these travelers were going to Jerusalem and looked up to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? And so they looked up and saw, there's Jerusalem. That's where I'm going. That's where God's temple is. That's where I'm going. Where's my help come from? It comes from God. Where do people go to look today for help? I thought about that. You could take out a ton of answers, a variety of answers. And every one of them would vary wildly from the correct answer provided in Psalm 121. A few would be, look within yourself. I checked that out, and there's a book by a lady by the name Louise Hay. I don't know if you ever heard of her. If you do, don't buy her book. <laughs> unless you're going to use it just for research purposes. Her book that was written in 1991 is called The Power Is Within You. She sold a lot of them. And the book overview reads this. In the power within you, Louise Hay expands her philosophies of loving the self through learning to listen and trust the inner voice, loving the child within. So you've got to trust your inner voice, 
Number two, letting our true feelings out, releasing our fears about growing older. Three, allowing ourselves to receive prosperity, expressing our creativity, accepting, excuse me, accepting change as a natural part of life, creating a world that is ecologically sound where it's safe to love each other. I don't know what that even means. Okay? And in the book with the chapter devoted on meditations for personal and planetary healing. I don't know what planetary healing is. Okay? But she sells lots of books. The power is within you. Other people look to their wealth or their might or their power or their physical prowess. That's where they look. Man puts a lot of confidence in the things that will provide all the help that they need that's in themselves, that they made. A lot of people look to the state. There's a lot of discussions today on socialism and how, you know, let the government take care of everything. There's a huge push in our country from that, uh, in that direction from several members of Congress and others. In, our general, in general, our country is trending that direction, but we're not the only country in the world that's trending that direction. All you have to do is go to a whole lot of European countries and you can see it as well. And they're, they're way ahead of the curve of where we are. But they look to the state. And the, the most sad one, I think, is the next one that I wrote down, the church. Many people rely on their church to get their help. Maybe not specifically financial assistance, but to care for them and to protect their souls and to let them know what's truth and wrong. Church memberships sometimes can be viewed as the key or the golden ticket that they need. Just follow the church. Don't question anything. Whatever the priest tells you or the rabbi or the, you know, the pastor or whatever, just, just go with the flow and don't think about it. But that's where people look for help. And we could look at each one of those in more detail, but none of them are effective. Each of us here, everyone, yes? Isn't it kind of too broad of a statement? I mean, the church does, the body of Christ does provide. I'm talking about not the, not the, not the Christian church, not the, not the true church. I'm talking about the church like the Catholic church or the Mormon church or the Episcopalian church or the, uh, the, or the Jehovah's Witness church. You know, a lot of people will go to their denomination or, or their, their church leadership and say, that's it. That's, that's what I was referring to. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good clarification there. But each of us has either needed help or will need help. And one of us here. Where should we turn? Are we going to turn to the power within ourselves? Looking to our wealth, power, might, look to the state? Or are we going to look, turn to God? The remainder of this psalm provides great counsel. Now, while we may know where to turn, sometimes we turn elsewhere. It's easy to follow one or many of these sources that were just brought up. <laughs> if you're like me, sometimes you look to the best place last. 
Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Verse 3 is straightforward as you can get. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's, that's pretty plain. Okay? Spurgeon commented this, What we need is help. Help powerful, efficient, constant. We need a very present help in trouble. What a mercy that we have it in our God. And then verse 3 is interesting. We're going to go verse 3 to verse 8 real quickly here. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forevermore. Did you get how many times the word keep is used? It's used six times in verses 3 to 7. And it's the word shamar. And it means to watch over, to preserve, or to keep. If the same word is used six times in six verses, maybe we ought to pay attention to that verse. And then you go to Jude 24. Now I didn't give you a chapter because there isn't one. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And as you have probably concluded from these verses, we do not, we cannot keep ourselves. There's a quote from John MacArthur. I think it's from him. I think other people have borrowed it or used it. I don't know if he used it first, but it's spot on. Talking about the security of the believer. He said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. It's God who keeps. The protection of God goes beyond eternal security, however, if that wasn't enough. And that's a lot. Here he is keeping Israel. He is keeping his own from evil. He is keeping our lives until he takes us home. Hmm. He's keeping our lives until he says, come on. And this is a 24-7 type keeping. He is on guard always. Verse 4. He never slumbers nor sleeps. Remember the chiding of Elijah on Mount Carmel? The prophets of Baal were trying to get their God to come and rain fire down from heaven. This is in 2 Kings 18. And they tried in vain for hours. They tried from you know the morning at noon. At noon. They've been going on it for a long time. Elijah in 1 Kings 18.40 says, And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, 
Yeah, it's okay to mock in this case. He mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. God never slumbers nor sleeps. And then it's interesting in verse 5, it says, The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. He is a shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You know, there are a lot of inhospitable places in the Middle East. If you've ever seen pictures of the Sinai Peninsula, or where... Uh, Moses was out in the in the desert there. I mean, we wouldn't vacation there, okay? There, you need relief from the hot sun. And God is that relief from the difficulties of life. He is the shade on your right hand. So the shade provided by God keeps the sun from striking you during the day from depleting you. And then it says the moon at night. This is interesting. Something I didn't know until I got into this. Um, The mention of the moon nor the moon by night. The Latin word luna is the word for moon. Right? You ever heard the word lunatic? (laughs) Comes from the same word. It reflects the ancient belief that exposure to the moon's rays can disorder the mind. Hence we get the word lunatic. Lunatic comes from that thought that the you know you needed protection from the moon's rays. I read it a couple different ways, but I I never I never realized that's where that I never put those two together ever before. But the point is, God is our protector day and night. So the psalm is stating that nothing by day, nothing by night can get in God's keeping and protecting us. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and the earth. doesn't slumber or sleep. He protects you by the day and he protects you by night. And then in verse 7 and 8, they show that God is our protector. And I might add, not just our protector, our only protector. The only thing that will be effective against the evil that surrounds us. You know, Romans chapter 8 says basically the same thing in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our only protector. 
To conclude, we don't have to look far to see that Christians have been and will continue to be persecuted for faith. The point of Psalm 121 is not that followers of God will be relieved of that problem, but that God will keep us safe through them, and he will keep us safe and to, to deliver us into his presence at the conclusion of our life. 2 Timothy 1.2 says, For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded or am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now I had to conclude with another quote from that book with the small title. Peterson wrote this. The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord. Christians travel the same grounds that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, feel the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, and get the same distresses. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God, and we know that we are ruled by God. Therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. And he is. Back to Jude 24. It is he who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be majesty, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Psalm 121 and 122, they're pretty cool. Let's pray.